Baptism is one of the most important and controversial aspects of our faith. So today, I want to take a deep look at what the Bible says about this important topic, along with how different people put this into practice. But before we do that, I want to remind you of one of the quotes of one of our church fathers. In essentials, we need to have unity. In non-essentials, we need to have liberty. And in all things, we should have love. So with that said, let's dive in. There, first of all, there are two types of baptism. Baptism of the Holy Spirit, along with a symbolic baptism, also called water baptism. Let's look at the first one, baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is where the Holy Spirit comes into our life, changes us, forgives our sin, and begins to guide us how to live. Let's see what Paul wrote to the Ephesians. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. So receiving the Holy Spirit is the seal and guarantee of our salvation. Let's remember the gospel, that we have sinned against a holy God, and that we deserve nothing but punishment for our sin. But Jesus came and lived a perfect, sinless life, and died the perfect sacrificial death on the cross to pay for our sins, so that if we will turn away from sin and trust and follow him, we will be forgiven and be able to spend eternity with God. When we turn from sin and trust in Christ, that is when we receive the Holy Spirit, when we believe and follow the gospel. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when he dwells within us. Let's look at a few, uh, a few more things. So we need to realize that any passage of scripture which says that you must be baptized to be saved is referring to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not the symbolic baptism. I believe this to be true, and I think quite a few people get this wrong. They, they mix up the symbolic baptism with the real life-changing baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's go a bit deeper, look at some more scriptures to back this up. So Paul wrote to the Corinthians, we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jew or, or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit. There's one baptism, one that is real, one that changes our life, and that's the baptism of the spirit. Let's see even what Jesus said in Acts 1. John, he said that John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So there's a separation and a distinction between water baptism and baptism of the Holy Spirit. So let's look a bit more. So the Holy Spirit leads and empowers us, but we continuously have the choice whether to follow him or our sinful flesh. Every day, every moment, we have the choice to do what the Holy Spirit is, is showing us, leading us, and guide us, guiding us what to do, or we can live according to our flesh and do whatever we want. Now, of course, when we follow God, when we follow the Holy Spirit, this leads to good things, but we always have the choice. Now, Sometimes uh, the Holy Spirit uses a still, small voice to speak to us and to guide us into complex things. And sometimes he speaks very loudly and makes it very obvious exactly what we're supposed to do. But the Holy Spirit is always guiding us, showing us what to do and empowering us. We just need to trust and follow him. But it's always a constant decision. But this is especially true when it comes to when we do big things. And one of those specifically mentioned in, in the Bible is witnessing. 
Jesus said in Acts, will you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. So when it comes to, to, to big events like that, we need to pray for a filling of the Spirit. It's good and biblical and wise to pray for a fresh baptism, a fresh filling, anointing, or empowering, again, especially when there's something very important happening. So whether we're about to take a job, if we're considering who to marry, maybe moving our family, or even facing sickness, when we're or even doing big ministry, when I go on missions, and even when I make these videos, I, I really pray and ask God to fill me afresh and anew so that I can speak his word and his truth, and so that my flesh will be crucified and get out of the way so that God can speak through me. So it's very good to do this. And even another verse, Jesus said in Luke 9, If any of you wants to be my disciple, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. So again, in the scriptures, uh, the cross isn't just a piece of jewelry. It was a method of execution, a method of killing people. It represented death. So when we take up our cross, that means that we're dying to our flesh and that we're truly following Jesus following God in everything that we do. And that's a decision, even according to this scripture, that we need to make daily. So we need to continuously be asking for a filling and anointing and to crucify our flesh and to truly live according to the spirit. Let's go ahead and look at a symbolic baptism, which is water baptism. Now, uh, so water baptism is a visible depiction of a spiritual reality. Let me explain that. When we become born again, that's when we receive the Holy Spirit. Now, water baptism is designed as a symbol and as a, almost a ceremony to show that this spiritual reality of becoming born again is happening. So when we go, un, when we go into the water, that symbolizes our death to ourself, death to our flesh. And then when we come out of the water, that symbolizes rebirth and a new life in Christ. The water washes away our sin, washes away our flesh, and then we are cleansed, redeemed, and ready to serve God as his chosen, clean vessel, empty of our flesh and filled with the Holy Spirit. So again, water baptism is a symbol, a visible symbol of a spiritual reality. Let's see what Paul wrote to Romans 6. This is a wonderful, wonderful passage of scripture that directly applies to this and some other really great things as well. So Paul said, do, not, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just by that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father we too might walk in newness of life you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to god in Christ Jesus. So I could spend an hour just talking about that, but let's focus on just the aspect of this being a symbolism. So unless you believe that water baptism should cause you to physically die, we must view this passage as symbolic, that the baptism is symbolic into Christ's death and that we die to our sin and are new to him. And then also it's a public declaration of this spiritual truth. It's where we show 
the world that we are connected to Christ, that the newness of life is that we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. So this is where we make a public profession of faith, where we tell our friends, our neighbors, the members of our church, we tell anyone who will listen that we have died to ourselves, and that our identity, our faith, and our everything is in Christ. So you should expect newness of life, a new person, a changed being, and you can even hold me accountable to truly trusting and following Christ. Let's look at some other passages that talk about this also being being symbolic. So let's see what uh, what John said in Luke chapter 3. He says, I now baptize with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. He will baptize you with the fire of the Holy Spirit. And in the parallel passage of this account uh, in John, for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So John clearly shows distinction between water baptism and the baptism that Jesus gave us, which is through the Holy Spirit. So let's even look at what Peter wrote in, uh, in, in chapter three. And he's talking about uh, Noah and the flood. And when he's re- that's what he's referring to in this passage. He said only eight people were saved through water. And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you. Not by removing dirt from your body, but as an appeal to God for a clean conscience. So Peter right here says that that, that the water is a picture of baptism and that it saves you not by removing dirt or removing physical cleanliness, but as an appeal to God. So uh, let's all let's just go one further that the thief on the cross proves that baptism is not necessary for salvation. The thief on the cross, that even not baptism or good works. You can find that in Luke chapter 23 if you want to read that passage. But basically, when Jesus was crucified, there were two thieves who were crucified with him. And one of them was challenging him and questioning him. And the other one defended Jesus and said, we're all up here. I'm up here because I deserve this, but Jesus is not. And then and he just asked Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus promises him that he will be with him in paradise. So this is one of just a handful of people in all of scripture that we're told specifically entered paradise. And yet this person, he died on the cross. He never had an opportunity to be baptized, never to do good works. It had to be something else. It is only by grace through his faith and through the forgiveness and the power of the Holy Spirit that he was able to be saved. So again, we know that that water baptism doesn't save us. It's only the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So let's let's go on to some more topics. So let's see is the is there baptism uh, in the Old Testament? This is a one that I on I honestly thought about for a while, and I, and I've had to do uh, again some research for this video. But I think that there are actually two connected practices from the Old Testament which directly correlate and connect to the New Testament practice of baptism. So first, and probably most obvious, is that ceremonial washing is prescribed many times for purifying both physical and spiritual uncleanliness. So if you've read uh, the book of Leviticus and other similar things, 
there, the priests and others are asked often to do a ceremonial washing and cleansing, both for physical and spiritual things. So they do this quite often. So obviously, the New Testament baptism takes the place of this. Jesus once and for all died, and that, that took the place of almost all ceremonial things that the priests did in the Old Testament, including the washing. So when we are baptized, we're washed, we're cleansed, and so we don't have to do that again in our life. Now, the, the less obvious, but maybe even more connected Old Testament uh, uh, practice that's connected to baptism is that baptism replaces circumcision in the New Covenant. So uh, the, the circumcision was a physical representation of a spiritual truth, that people were God's children, that they were in the nation of Israel, and that they were set apart to serve God. And this happened when they were infants and then they grew up and either truly followed God or rejected him. So th that's uh, the Old Testament. Uh, I'm not going to go deep on circumcision, but l let's look at what, what uh, Paul wrote to the Colossians in chapter two that shows how these are connected. In him, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through the faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. So again, in the Old Testament, there was circumcision. In the New Testament, baptism has replaced that. So he, it replaced both. Baptism has replaced, completed, and gone beyond ceremonial washing and circumcision. So let's look at some of the, the, the areas of disagreement where people have different perspectives and different interpretations of scripture when it comes to baptism. The big one is infant baptism. This is the one where it's maybe the most hotly debated and most uh, just most difficult aspect of the faith because so many people view this as so important and some people completely reject it. But we need to know before we dive in more that this practice is neither affir affirmed nor condemned in scripture. It's not found anywhere. So it's neither, we're, never, we're not told to do it and we're told not to do it because this practice is not found in scripture at all. But let's just look at what this practice is. So what they, the people who do this, they baptize an infant as a, as a, a looking forward to future salvation. And then as they get older and when they become an adolescent, they go through what's called confirmation. And that's where they really affirm the truths of the, of the faith and learn more about scripture. And that's when they, they say different creeds, different things. And that's where they really go deeper and make that faith their own and really take hold of the faith and become full members of that church. So let's look at the, because it's not in scripture. It might be a bit confusing for some of us. Honestly, for myself, I had never really looked into infant baptism that much. But when, when I read what they have to say, there are some very interesting arguments in favor of infant baptism. And I honestly have changed my opinion a bit because of this, this research. And so I want to share with you what, what I've learned. So here's some of the arguments for infant baptism. 
So first, because circumcision was done to infants in the Old Testament, then baptism should be done to infants in the New Covenant. So if, if it was in the, done one way in the Old style, then it should be done a similar way in the New. And then second, if Jesus will heal based on the faith of others, you see that with the, the paralytic that was dropped through the ceiling, the centurion, and the father, then he can grant grace and an, uh, uh, to an infant based on the faith of their parents. Now, he can, but again, it's not specifically in scripture, so it's not that he guaranteed will. That's just what some people have, have the faith that Jesus will follow through with those things. So two more. There are multiple accounts in which all the members of a household were baptized. So this must have included infants. Well, we don't know that for sure, again, because it's not mentioned. And there's no better symbol that salvation is by God's grace than baptizing an infant who has done nothing to deserve or earn salvation. That might be true that it seems best to us, but that doesn't mean that that's what God actually wants us to do. So those are some honestly good arguments in favor of infant baptism. Now, along with those, some people take infant baptism much further, and they believe that it does things and represents things that are honestly unbiblical. So let's look at what some people believe about in infant baptism that's honestly not biblical. Now, again, not everyone who does this believes this, but look at, let's look at a couple things that are specifically unbiblical. All who are baptized will be saved. And also that baptism washes away original sin. So there's a belief that we all inherit sin from our parents, and that makes us, again, deserving of hell. Uh, so that, that, that even an infant, uh, if they are not uh, baptized, are in danger of going to hell if they pass away. So again, they, they believe that this, that this infant baptism truly washes away sin and that it, it, it guarantees and puts them in a place where that kid will grow up and follow Christ and be saved. So again, I, both of those are clearly unbiblical. And again, just when it comes to infant baptism, I have an important question to ask everyone. If infant baptism guaranteed salvation or removed sin, don't you think God would have mentioned this in scripture, in his book, in his word for us? If this thing were so important, don't you think God would have commanded this and shown us that this is what we should do, not just leave it ambiguous and leave it up to us to do whatever? Well, let's look at a few things that we specifically, that we know for sure that apply to infant baptism. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, we must all stand before Christ to be judged and will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Now that's not to be to say that we're saved by our good works, but we each will stand before the judgment of Christ and, and to, 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 to see what we've done in the body. Another great quote is that God only has children, not grandchildren. Our parents' faith will not save us. We must each turn from sin and trust in Christ in order to be saved. Now, there's another related but a little bit different uh, ha a practice that's called baby dedication. And it's a little bit different than infant baptism. So this is where parents bring their young child forward and in front of the entire congregation, they, they're asked some questions and they make the commitment to raise that kid in a biblical way that they will point them towards Christ 
and that we have a future hope that this child will receive salvation. Now, this often will involve water or oil or some other type of thing which is very similar and generally has overlap with infant baptism. So these two practices are honestly quite similar when they're done a biblical way. So as long as we agree that water baptism is symbolic and that it's only baptism by faith in the Holy Spirit that, that we are saved, there is much room for freedom when it comes to infant baptism and how to view those things. So that's the first of the important um difficult issues where there's disagreement. Let's look at a couple more. The second is whether we should baptize people in the name of Jesus, which is what we see most often in the book of Acts, or baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is what Jesus commanded us in the Great Commission. Now, I've never heard anyone argue very strongly that we absolutely must follow what we see in the Great Commission. So mostly, I've heard people argue that we must baptize in the name of Jesus or else it, it doesn't count. So that's done with some Charismatics, some Pentecostals. But there are a few easy ways to, to, to refute this. So first and foremost, when you look at the book of Acts, it's not always done the exact same way. There are different phrases, different orders, and different ways, even within the book of Acts, that the that they that they uh, baptized people. So again, if it were if if God really wanted us to do this in an exact specific way, He would have told us this. We wouldn't. He wouldn't leave it up to 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 to, to as to leave it ambiguous so that we could argue about it. And also, it's just really important to know. That baptism isn't about a specific set of magic words, and we need to be very careful to not follow pagan or superstitious practices when it comes to using words, chants, even spells, incantations. That, that's not what Christianity is about. There is no magic water, and there are no magic words. It is the Holy Spirit that changes us when we turn from sin, trust in Christ, and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit that is when our lives are changed, not specific words, specific habits, or anything super specific like that. There's lots of grace and lots of room for freedom for exactly how we practice baptism. And that also includes whether we should baptize by full immersion, by pouring water on someone, or sprinkling water on them. I'm going to be very brief on this, that I personally believe that full immersion in a river best fits what we see in scripture. That is the closest and best picture to what we read when we see scripture. But we have freedom based on personal preference, traditions, and personal convictions, along with water availability. I've been to some places where there are deserts and where water is hard to find, so it's not possible to do a full immersion baptism, so they have to do different ways. So again, I, I know because it's a symbol of something that happens inside that there's so much room for freedom. Now, uh, the fourth thing I want to discuss is one very controversial and difficult page of, uh, passage of scripture, and that's Acts chapter 19. People interpret this different ways and take it way too far on some things, I believe. So let's see what, what this says and look at it a bit. So 
did you uh so so this was as they were going around they found some people who were who were called disciples and then they they questioned them and talked to them about a few things so did you they asked they asked these people did you receive the holy spirit when you believed and they said no we have not even heard that there is a holy spirit and he said into what then were you baptized they said into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. So people take this to mean that there are two baptisms, that you can be baptized once and then baptized later into the name of Jesus, and that's when you receive the Holy Spirit. And some people also say that specifically, it must be done through the laying on of hands for you to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe both of those go against other passages of Scripture, and so I believe this is one specific instance that we need to hold a little bit differently than other places. So first of all, we need to know there's a difference between prescription and description when it comes to scripture. A prescription is when someone tells us this is what we must do. And a description just says, hey, this is what happened. Take the good, leave the bad. Now, this specific passage in Acts, it obviously it describes what happened in this event, not what we must do all the time. My personal belief is that there was a transitional period between the Old Testament and the writing of the New Testament in which special events like this happened as the church spread. So they didn't have the complete version of scripture. They only had the word of the, of, of the apostles. And so a few things happened in ways that don't necessarily happen for us today. Now, to, 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 to fill in this argument, Jesus said in Acts 1, he told his followers to stay in Jerusalem until the day of Pentecost. So he told them, don't leave. The Holy Spirit is coming, and I want you all to be together when this happens. So the, they, as you read in a, little, a couple chapters or one chapter later, they all received the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues. They prophesied, and many were added to the faith. And as you read throughout the book of Acts, they spread around the, the, the known world and, and, and taught the gospel and people became followers of Jesus and received the Holy Spirit as they traveled. So rather than everyone who followed God at the moment of that day of Pentecost receiving the Holy Spirit all around the world, God decided that it was best for just that group of believers to receive the Holy Spirit first and then for them to spread the Holy Spirit as they traveled and as they went around. Now, I find it very interesting that the Holy Spirit spread like fire. Like if you're going to spread a fire, it doesn't just spontaneously combust all over the place. You, you take a stick, you light it, you make a torch, and then you bring that torch somewhere else. And then you light fires as you go. And that's exactly uh, has, how the Holy Spirit spread around the world. So as we go on, let's look at another question. Is it okay to be water baptized multiple times? Is it something that you must only do once? Or is it okay to do multiple times? My answer is absolutely. It's okay to be baptized more than once. It's not necessary for salvation, just like any other water baptism, but it's okay to do this multiple times. In fact, my wife and I both 
have been baptized twice. I'll tell you both of our stories. So I was, I grew up in a Christian home and it, and I, I, I knew about Christ. I knew how to follow God, but for a while I lived for myself. But then when I was 11, I went to a camp I heard the gospel and it really made sense, connected with me. And that was when I, I, I went down forward, I said the prayer, and that was when I received the Holy Spirit. That's when I became born again. I know that's when my sin was forgiven. But as an 11-year-old, obviously I wasn't fully mature. So over the, the next, how, next years, through high school and even university, I had my ups and downs spiritually. Sometimes I was closer to God, sometimes I was further, but I never doubted my salvation. I knew that what I did when I was 11 was true, that I was forgiven and that I would spend eternity with God. But then over when I, in my early 20s, God began really working in my life. And when I was 24, I, d I d dedicated my life to full-time ministry. And the church I was in at that point uh, was going to do a baptism at the river in my hometown. Now, when I was 11, I was baptized in, in, a, in a tank, in a tub, just, you know, just stagnant water. And that was okay because, again, it's just a symbol. But it, when I was 24, I really, I wanted to be baptized and really commit to this ministry. And also, I just sort of wanted to be baptized in the river just because it's new and cool and just, a, again, a great testimony that I was committing to full-time ministry. So that's the two times I've been baptized. My wife, she grew up in a Christian home also, but didn't really ever understand some of the deeper aspects of the faith, and it never became real to her. But when she was about 10... They did a baptism and she thought she knew her parents would enjoy it. And so to please them, and just because a lot of other people were getting baptized, she went and was baptized also, even though she didn't truly become born again and she wasn't really following Christ. And then over the next, uh, next however many years, she really got far away from Christ through her teenage years. She, she, it was very obvious that she wasn't really following Christ and was really living just, just, just according to herself. But then in her early 20s, um, God really worked on her heart, brought her back, and that was when she truly became born again. So, And that happened over the course of a few months. So once she realized this and thought about it, she felt God leading her to be baptized again. So she went and did water baptism a second time now that she really understood it once she had already received the Holy Spirit and knew what it meant to follow Christ. So that's both of our stories that we've both been baptized multiple times, that it's okay to to do that. Now, again, if you were, if you were water baptized, anointed or dedicated as an infant, I would highly recommend also being water baptized after becoming born again. You need to make the, you should make the faith your own. You should make a public declaration that you are, uh, that you are in Christ and that you have, that you are associated with him, that you are born again and that you are following him. So if you have not made this public declaration after becoming born again and making the faith your own and receiving the Holy Spirit, I would strongly encourage you to do that. And along with this, if a believer has fallen away from the faith and lived in sin, a symbolic baptism to show repentance, humility, and returning to Christ is a wonderful thing. Then this is often called a rededication. So when you've been away from Christ, you can, even if you were truly born again at a younger age and received the Holy Spirit, but just walked away from God for an extended period of time, 
If you want to make a symbolic show that you're coming back to the faith, baptism is a wonderful way to do that. And I would encourage that. And along with this, uh, water baptism, anointing, and other similar things can be performed during weddings, ministry ordination, and even other ceremonies. So basically... I view baptism as a great thing, a symbol, a, a visible symbol of, a, of an internal spiritual truth. And the more often we can do this, the more often we can associate with Christ's death and resurrection. That's a wonderful thing. So I think baptism should honestly be done more often for more people in more situations. So let's just let's just summarize and go do a couple takeaways. So I believe so I believe scripture shows that water baptism is a visible depiction of a spiritual reality. Also, as long as we understand that it is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that saves us, there is a lot of freedom in how we perform water baptism. Now I just want to share with you guys one final verse before we close. There's one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is over all and through all and in all. So even in baptism, we should have unity, not division. God bless you. I thank you so much for listening. Please let me know if you have any questions. Feel free to write a comment, send me a message. And if you'd like to hear more about how to put your faith into practice, I hope you'll look at our other videos and like, subscribe, and follow this channel. God bless.